السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد الرسول أشهد أن محمد الرسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الله أكبر الله أكبر لا Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most majestic and the most high. 
We worship Him alone and turn to Him, and upon Him do we rely. He saved the Ark of Nuh on Mount Judi, and He spoke to Musa on Mount Sinai. He commanded Ibrahim to build the Kaaba, and He raised up Isa from being crucified. He hears the plea of the one in distress, and He responds to the silent cry. So glory be to Him who revealed the Qur'an, whose recitation with our voices we beautify. An ultimate majesty belongs to him who blessed us with the sharia that we strive to live by. And praise be to him who sent us a prophet whose sunnah we try to exemplify. For it is by following the sunnah that our hearts and our manners we purify. May salat and salam be upon the one whose prophethood no sincere person can deny. As to what follows, dear brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us to be conscious of him in the Qur'an when he says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ O you who believe, be conscious of Allah, the way that it is befitting that you are conscious of him, and do not die except in a state of submission. Dear Muslims, one of the realities of life and this reality is both a blessing and a potential curse, is that people have differences of opinion about every single issue. Allah Azza wa Jal created us differently. Our minds think differently. We look at the world differently. We analyze things differently. In fact, there is hardly anything, any aspect, except that you will find human beings looking at that and analyzing it in different ways. This applies to politics, it applies to history, it applies to economics, it applies to science, and it also applies to religion. Just like we have diverse backgrounds, diverse religions, diverse civilizations, so too we have diverse religious beliefs. This is once again the reality of humanity. And even within the same religion, we have a diversity of interpretation about that religion. Our Prophet ﷺ predicted that his ummah would split up into even more groups than the previous ummahs. And we see this reality in our times. So what is to be done in light of what we see, this confusion and chaos? What is to be done about all of these differences of opinion? What makes the matter even more confusing for many of us is that within the lands that we live in, the diversity of thought that we encounter is unparalleled. I think I speak for most of you and us when I say, when you were back home, you knew a small spectrum of differences of opinion. But coming to America and seeing Muslims from across the world and being introduced to such a diversity of cultures and scholars, and on top of this here in America, we have independent movements, thinkers that are living here, trends that are not found in the Middle East and in Pakistan and India. So we have the entire spectrum of the Muslim world here, and we also have local spectrums that don't exist back in the Muslim world. And in one community, you will find people of many diverse backgrounds, many different interpretations. And every single Muslim who begins to practice the faith is introduced to an entire myriad of interpretations. Which madhab to follow? Which shaykh to look up to? Which sect should they study Islam from? What is to be done in light of all of this confusion? 
In today's khutbah, which will be the first of a series, it will be multiple khutbahs next week and then inshallah even next month will continue. I wanted to shed some academic light, some real raw talk about what an average Muslim is expected to do in light of all of these differences of opinion. And I'm going to begin by mentioning a number of points. The first point, the first point, not every ikhtilaf should lead to a khilaf. I'll clarify these words, but memorize the principle. Not every ikhtilaf, ikhtilaf means differences of opinion, should lead to a khilaf. A khilaf means an argument. A khilaf means taking somebody as an opponent. Not every ikhtilaf should lead to an actual division. Many of the differences of opinion are within the tolerable spectrum of Islam. Not every difference is evil. Not every alternative opinion is inherently wrong. There's a spectrum. And we see this from the time of the Sahaba themselves. Even the companions differed over many issues of Islam. Even in the lifetime of the Prophet Allah created minds differently. We have number of episodes in the seerah when the Prophet said, X, do this. And in his lifetime, the Sahaba understood it in different ways. And I have given other talks about this. In his own lifetime, the companions disagreed. After the death of the Prophet the differences increased many manifold. But those differences never divided the community. Their hearts were united even though they had different madhabs, different fiqhs. And our schools of Islamic law, they are based upon the differences of the Sahaba. Very simplistically, it is true to say, for example, that the Hanafi madhab is more based upon Ibn Mas'ud and the Shafi'i madhab is more based upon Ibn Abbas. Very simplistic, but there's a kernel of truth to this. These differences that exist, they go back to the time of the Sahaba. So, not every ikhtilaf should lead to a khilaf. We need to understand there is a spectrum of differences of opinion. Sometimes a difference of opinion is within the mainstream and both are considered to be valid, even if they are not the same. Our Prophet is reported to have said, some of the scholars said the hadith is weak, but the concept is authentic. It is found in Sunan al-Tirmidhi and others. He said, or it is reported that he said, the ikhtilaf of my ummah is a mercy from Allah. Ikhtilaf ummati rahmah. Many of our earlier scholars commented on this, that we thank Allah that Ibn Mas'ud had a different fatwa from Ibn Abbas, that Abu Huraira gave something different than our mother Aisha. Within this diversity, certain fatwas appeal to a certain situation and other fatwas apply in other situations. Not every ikhtilaf is something that is cursed. No, ikhtilafu ummati rahma. Some of the ikhtilaf of my ummah is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, much of the difference of opinion that we find within a community is actually within this spectrum of mercy. Beyond this, again we said it's a spectrum. Beyond this, there are opinions and disagreements that we would consider to be eccentric, odd, atypical. But if a person holds them, they are still within the mainstream of Islam. Anybody who studies Islamic history realizes that every single major figure of Islam held one or two views that were different from other people. This applies to Imam al-Nawi, Ibn Taymiyyah, al-Ghazali, Fakhridin al-Razi, any scholar you mention. If you really study his biography, you study his views, the reason why they had an impact is that they did something unique. They presented something new. And when they did that, 
one or two or three views might have been different from the others. So what? We look at overall their positive contributions. No major scholar of Islam existed except that you'll find an opinion or two or three or four that are in the minority. Still, it doesn't make them anyhow evil. So this is the broader spectrum that sometimes an opinion is atypical, but it is still acceptable. Beyond this even is another spectrum. That spectrum is, we don't like that opinion, but what can we do about it? We will have to tolerate it for the sake of civic society. Not every ikhtilaf is good, not every ikhtilaf is bad. Sometimes the difference of opinion is not good, and we wish it didn't exist. We wish all the Muslims followed the Quran and Sunnah, but there are Muslims who say we don't have to follow the Sunnah. That's their interpretation, we don't like it, we will speak against it, but what are you going to do about it? So we will tolerate, and toleration does not mean approval. Toleration does not mean I agree. But I'm going to give you an example in the second khutbah that demonstrates this. Beyond this even are interpretations that we cannot tolerate. What are those interpretations? The only interpretations that we cannot tolerate are those that bring violence to the community. Those that shed innocent blood, we cannot just sit back and be quiet. Those opinions, we have to unite together and make sure they do not exist as much as possible. That's where we cannot tolerate. Anything less than this, Allah Azza wa allows non-Muslims to live in Muslim lands, to worship other gods in Muslim lands. Are you not going to tolerate your fellow Muslim holding another opinion? Allah allows Christians and Jews to worship according to their rituals in Darul Islam. This is according to the Quran. No two scholars disagree about this. So do you think you will enforce your interpretation of Islam on other Muslims? No. And I'll give you an example as we said later on. So this is the spectrum of opinion. Now the question arises, you come across another opinion, you haven't heard it. Where does this opinion go on this spectrum? Is it within the acceptable? Is it the atypical and acceptable but we don't like it? Is it beyond this, we really don't like it, we have to tolerate? Or is it something that is completely intolerable? Well. To classify an opinion actually requires quite a lot of knowledge. And I will tell you something very frankly. The more knowledge one has, the more broad-minded and tolerant one becomes. And the less knowledge one has, then the more sectarian and narrow-minded one becomes. Let me give you an example that will help clarify this point. Imagine, maybe 500 years ago, medical pr practitioners, not the real doctors of today, but you know, just herbal medicine, whatnot. Somebody in a village trains to be a medical practitioner with the medical practitioner of that village. And he's only exposed to a certain amount of medication, certain amount of diseases. He comes across a new disease and he says, oh, this is strange, it is unheard of. But it might exist in another city, another town, he hasn't seen it. He makes a big deal, it might be a mainstream disease or a mainstream issue, but he hasn't been exposed to it because his worldview is limited. Can you compare this with a trained doctor who has decades of experience and has traveled the globe? Can you compare the two? With utmost respect, and I speak as a person of that class, the clergy class, our ulama, their disparities even more than this example. With utmost respect, there are certain scholars and preachers they have never experienced other trends, other groups, other opinions. Their whole lives, they live amongst their own group. They're surrounded by like-minded people. And they are, inshallah, sincere. 
They come across an opinion they haven't heard. And they make a very big deal about this. And they interpret it worse than it needs to be. And this goes back to their own lack of knowledge and lack of experience. And there are other scholars who have interacted with many groups. They have studied with many ulama of different persuasions. And you will find their talk very different than the first person's talk. So it is your job and your responsibility to separate the one who has no experience from the one who has experience. That's your job. You can't blame the first person. He is sincere, but he doesn't know any better. He's never really seen or interacted with this other entity, this other trend. So we have to understand, dear brothers and sisters, that with knowledge, when you study, the more you study, the more you understand this religion has been diverse from the very beginning. We've had thinkers, we have trends, we have movements that have shown this religion is a very vast religion. Doesn't mean every opinion is right, but it means there is precedence for many of the views out there. So rule number one, not every ikhtilaf should lead to a khilaf. And the more knowledge you have, the more you understand this point. Rule number two, and again this is multi-part khutbah, so we're going to continue all of these rules and other khutbahs. Rule number two, and this is a very important rule. Islam is not a sect. The religion of Islam is not a trend. The ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is not a small group in somebody's basement. The religion of Islam is not a small sect. It is a massive conglomeration of people. It is a blessed ummah. Allah praises this ummah. The Prophet has said Allah's hand is upon this ummah. He said my ummah is a marhuma, blessed ummah. So anybody who comes and tells you only me and my followers are saved and everybody else is going to Jahannam. Allah says Kuntum khaira You are the best ummah created for mankind. The Prophet ﷺ said that the jama'ah, the conglomeration is saved. The Prophet ﷺ said, I saw my ummah on the day of judgment. It was more than the eye can see. The Prophet ﷺ said that I hope my one ummah shall be more than half the people of Jannah. All the other ummahs combined shall be less than half. We one ummah will be more than half. This ummah is a blessed ummah. The followers of the Prophet ﷺ are blessed followers. They are the most blessed ummah. The believers in the Quran are the ummah that Allah has chosen. Mainstream Islam is protected and saved. Anyone who comes and tells you, me and my five followers are correct, and the rest of the ummah is going to Jahannam. That person has contradicted the Quran, the Sunnah, and even common sense. Why common sense? Listen to this point carefully. Why did Allah send other prophets? Why did our Prophet come? Because the re religions that were previously revealed were misguided. There were no righteous Christians. They all misguided. The Trinity misguided them. The, theologically, they were misguided. So Allah had to send another prophet to correct the previous guidance. Will there be another prophet after our Prophet No. He is Khatimul Anbiya. He is the end and the seal. So since there will be no prophet after the Prophet ﷺ, Allah had to protect his book, the Qur'an. It is protected. And Allah had to protect the religion of Islam. The religion of Islam as a majority faith shall never be misguided. Otherwise, we would have to send a new prophet. And there is no other prophet to come. Understand this point. 
No small sect and trend can claim everybody is going to Jahannam except me. Anybody who says so has contradicted the Quran and the Sunnah and common sense. The bulk of the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad is upon khair, upon barakah, upon good. The mainstream Muslims theologically have a sound belief. They believe in Allah, they believe in the Messenger, they want to follow the Quran and Sunnah, they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they believe the Prophet is a role model. This is mainstream Islam. As for the finer differences, so be it. These are within the purview of mainstream. Now somebody's gonna say, didn't the Prophet say that 72 sects will be misguided and one will be correctly guided? 73. There's a famous hadith, by the way, that our Prophet said that my ummah shall split into 73. One will be correct and 72 will be wrong. Firstly, there's a lot of issue about whether it's authentic or not. Secondly, even if the hadith is authentic, the interpretation that our great ulama, like Imam al-San'ani, like Imam al-Shawkani, have said is very logical. Their interpretation is very simple, and that is 72 out of 73 does not mean the majority is misguided. That would only be the case if every group is equally present. No, the one that is correctly guided, they said, is mainstream Islam. That is Islam. And all of the 72 combined will be a small fraction of the ummah. This is their interpretation, and it is the correct interpretation. The bulk of the ummah is rightly guided. That is the default of what we believe. There is no minority trend that is absolutely correct and everybody else is misguided. You want to know what is theology? Go to the Hadith of Jibreel. Any Muslim who affirms the Hadith of Jibreel, the six arkan, the five pillars of Islam, any Muslim who believes in these basic concepts has believed in the religion of the Prophet Our Prophet said when Jibreel came and asked those questions, what are the arkan? What is Islam? He answered. Then he said, this is Jibreel. He came to teach you your deen your religion this is your rubric this is the default theology anybody who affirms it is upon mainstream Islam as for what follows after that these are the differences in the details the differences in the footnotes it should not make it to the level of excommunication to the level of thinking the other person is wrong going to Jahannam no the default is your fellow Muslim might have a different interpretation and they're still good they're still upon the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam subhanallah dear Muslim study history from the time of the Sahaba there were major differences as for fiqh there was hardly any two companions except that they had different views of fiqh. And as for issues of theology, certain minor issues of theology, minor relatively, but yes, they had disagreements even upon minor issues of theology. And as for how to revive the ummah and politics, subhanallah, let's be real here. Even the companions strongly disagreed to the point of even civil wars took place over politics, over who was the best candidate. And yet still they understood they were a part of the same ummah. Even though the disagreement led to physical fighting, that disagreement did not lead to excommunication. No side said the other side is going to Jahannam. They disagreed. They strongly disagreed. They even went to war. But this was a worldly matter. They didn't bring religion and say, oh, you're going to Jahannam because you disagree with me. No. If they had that much common sense, then how about us? Dear brothers and sisters, let me be very explicit here. The bulk of the differences that exist within any community like ours, they are relatively trivial 
in the grand scale of things. And they do not mean that your opponent belongs to a different sect out of the 73. Wallahi, it is narrow-mindedness to believe this. I have heard and seen many such examples of intolerance. Oh, if he does Rafi'iyadain, he's a person of bid'ah. Rafi'iyadain is raising of the hands. If he doesn't do Rafi'iyadain, he's going to Jahannam. No, a'udhu billah. The majority of the ummah is upon good. And let us again be realistic here. Where is most of the difference of opinion over when it comes to modern Islam? It is over the best way to revive the ummah. Some people say we should do da'wah and tabligh. Others say we should emphasize leadership and make sure we have good Islamic governance. Others say we need to teach aqidah and tawheed. Others say we need to make sure we follow Islamic law. Others say we need to have our suluk and tazkiyah and have our purification of the heart. Guess what? Every one of them has taken a correct aspect of Islam. Have they not? And they prioritized it. It's not as if the one group is saying, we don't care about tazkiyah. We don't care about politics. We don't care about tabligh. It's rather, what do you prioritize? These ikhtilaf should be considered complementary. Let one group emphasize da'wah and tabligh. Let one group emphasize tawheed. Let one group emphasize Islamic law. Let one group emphasize tazkiyah. And guess what, brothers and sisters? Allah created us differently. Not everybody is attracted to the same cause. Some people like academic Islam more. Other people, they like purification of the soul more. Other people, they like other things more. Allah didn't create all of us the same. Even amongst the Sahaba, some of the Sahaba had certain talents, others had other talents. When the civil war broke out, it wasn't just two groups. It was a whole spectrum of groups. Some of the Sahaba, like Ibn Abbas and others, they broke away from all of it. They said, we're just going to do our ibadah. We're just going to teach the people. They didn't get involved at all. This is basically your da'wah and tabligh type of stuff. Others of the Sahaba, they got involved in academics. Others of the Sahaba, they got deep involved in either side of the politics. And others were not so deeply involved and yet still partially involved. Point is, if during the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidun, there was one Khalifa, if during his time we had this spectrum, what do you think in our times? There is no Khilafah. There is no Islamic government. There is no unified body. We are all left to find our own ways. Each person amongst us looks to see what is the best way to revive the Ummah. Of course, there's going to be a difference of opinion. So what? Find the group that you are attracted to. Be involved with them. Don't take the other groups as your enemies. Simple as that. And you know what? Most of you and me, most of us, the group we are involved with just so happens to be the group that first introduced us to practicing Islam. Go back to your own lives. Look at it. Which group are you involved with right now? Why are you involved with that group? Either your parents were involved with it, hence you are still involved with it, or when you were a young man or young woman, this was the group that first introduced you to real religion. It made you feel empowered. It introduced you to Islam that made sense to you. And ever since then, you've been involved with them. Good for you. Alhamdulillah. But realize, other people have had different experiences. Other people have gone through different life cycles. Other people were born to different parents. Other people were exposed to different groups. And they got involved in those groups. Let every person find the group, the passion that they're involved with. And as long as it is mainstream Islam, and I repeat, 
it is impossible for large masses of the ummah to all be misguided. I say this bluntly and clearly. It is impossible for millions and millions of mainstream Muslims who love Allah, who love the Messenger, to all be misguided to the point of going to Jahannam. No, it could be difference of priority. It could be, you know, they might not be fully as much as I like them to be, but still they have good in them. And the good far outweighs the bad. So, bottom line when it comes to point number two, Islam is broader than a sect, a trend, a jama'ah, a movement. The religion of Islam, the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is a blessed ummah. And anybody who tries to tell you other than this, anybody who says my group and my little group is the only one going to Jannah and all of you other mainstream Muslims are going to Jahannam, that person frankly has contradicted the spirit of this faith. To summarize both of these points, I can conclude and state. The differences that we have within the mainstream ummah do not exclude your other opponent, the person who holds the other view. Do not exclude that person from being a good Muslim. In fact, rather, most of these differences are complementary and not contradictory. And before you begin by looking at the differences, look at what you have in common. Before you highlight what is ikhtilaf between you, see what unites you. The kalima, the Quran, love of Allah, love of the Prophet ﷺ. We all pray facing the same qibla. We all read the same book. We all do wudu before we pray. So what if somebody puts his hand here or here? So what if somebody wants to prioritize tazkiyah, another wants to? Everybody is created differently. We all have, as long as we have one goal in mind, and that is to achieve the pleasure of Allah through the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. This is mainstream Islam and anybody who believes in this is alhamdulillah upon khair and good. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me and you with and through the Quran and may he make us of those whose verses they understand and applies halal and haram throughout our lifespan. Ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask him for his the ghafoor and the rahman. Alhamdulillah, all praises due to Allah, the one and the unique. It is He whom we worship and it is His aid that we seek. He hears the cry of the oppressed and He answers the prayer of the weak. As to what follows, inshallah we'll continue this khutbah later on, but I want to finish the second khutbah with one of the most important episodes in early Islam that demonstrates exactly what I'm talking about. The first time in Islamic history that an actual firqa or sect was created was the Khawarij, the Kharijites. This happened in the reign of Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali and Muawiyah, they had a war between them that was political, it was not religious. Each side did not consider the other side to be kafir, dal, mudil, mubtadir. No, it was politics. And they understood that they're both good religiously, but they're, each one said the other is wrong from a worldly perspective. A third group came. This was the Kharijites, they're called, the Khawarij. And this group had different beliefs. They said many things, which is beyond the scope of this talk today, but they broke away. That's why they're called Kharijites. They broke away and they separated themselves and they lived in a place outside of Kufa by the name of Nahawan. They, they started a city and they lived over there. This was the first time a new firqa was created. It was during the time of the Khulafa. Ali radiallahu an is the Khalifa. Muawiyah is in Damascus. This is the time when many Sahaba are still alive. The position of Ali radiallahu an is one that all of us should learn from. He was the Khalifa. What did he do? Force his views on them? Excommunicate them? Kill all of them? No. When he heard that this group had a different belief, they broke away, he sent 
the greatest alim alive, Ibn Abbas. And Ibn Abbas visited their camp. Ibn Abbas had a beautiful, very etiquette-based, adab-based dialogue with them. He said, what are your arguments? Bring them. He greeted them. He said salam to them. He praised them for the good things that they had. And then he had a theological debate with etiquette, with manners. We don't have time to go into the details. I've given other lectures about this and you'll find many lectures reference this. He answered every one of their arguments with manners. Because of this, a large group came back to Ali radiallahu's camp and they went back main to mainstream Islam. But one group remained, maybe one third of them remained. And they said, we're not convinced by your arguments. So uh, Ibn Abbas returned to Ali radiallahu and said to him, still we have a few thousand of them. They are not changing their minds. Ali radiallahu was the Khalifa during the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidun. This is ideal Islam. What did he do? Listen to this carefully. He said to the people around him, go and tell them, we have no right to force them to believe other than what they believe. And as long as they don't harm other people, we shall not interfere with them. Subhanallah. Can you imagine this tolerance from many of our clerics of our times? Ali radiallahu an understood, I can't force people to believe in what I'm believing. They have a different understanding of Islam. They're not kafir. They, we don't agree with them. But what are we going to do? You're going to kill them because they have a different view? You're going to literally excommunicate them? He said very clearly, and this is well known in the books. Go read any book of history. We have no right to harm you, to hurt you, to force you. As long as you don't harm any of us. Unfortunately, that group did started harming other Muslims, killing them. Then Ali invaded them. That's why I said the only opinion that we cannot tolerate is violence. That's the opinion we cannot tolerate. If people are violent and killing people, we can't just sit back and allow that to happen. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Allah says in the Quran, Are you going to force people until they believe? Are you going to force people to follow your point of view? If Ali radiallahu an, and he was who he was, and he is a figure respected by all groups of Islam, 99.9% .9 of the ummah respect Ali radiallahu an. If he had the, the, the wisdom and the hikmah and the iman, being the khalifa to say, what can we do? That's your right, your interpretation. You have to answer to Allah. In this dunya, we disagree, but we cannot force you. And he was the Khalifa. Then do you think you as a community leader, you as somebody living in America, you as whoever you might be, do you think you have the right, the moral authority to physically force people to make sure a person doesn't exist? Subhanallah. You try your best. You try your best, if you are Ibn Abbas type of level, to debate with manners. And if it doesn't work, Leave the rest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what we learn from none other than Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala an. And inshallah we'll continue the same topic in other khutbas as well. I'm going to make dua, so make, say ameen after me. Allahumma ni da'in fa'aminu. Allahumma la tal'in fi hadhi yawmi dhammat illa ghafarta. Wala hamman illa farrajta. Wala daynan illa qadayta. Wala maridan illa shafayta. Wala asiran illa yassarta. Allahumma aghfir lana wa li ikhwanan alladhina sabakuna bin iman. ولا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم أعز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم من أرادنا أو أراد الإسلام والمسلمين بسوء فاشغله بنفسه واجعل تدميره في تدبيره يا قوي يا عزيز عباد الله إن الله تعالى أمركم بأمر بدأ به بنفسه وثنى بملائكة قدسه وثلث بكم أيها المؤمنون من جنه وإنسه فقال 
قال عز من قائل عليما إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك وأنعم على عبدك رسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين عباد الله إن الله تعالى يأمر بالعدل والإحسان ويتعيد القرب وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكر الله العظيم يذكركم واشكره يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة If the brothers can make sure there's no spaces empty, fill in any gaps that you have, inshallah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah, Hayya ala salah, Hayya ala al-falah, Qad qamat al-salat, Qad qamat al-salat, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah Straighten your rows, leave no gaps in the line Allahu Akbar Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين Ameen Wadduha wal-layli Iza saja ma Wadda'aka rabbuka Wa ma qala Walal-akhiratu Khayrun laka minal Ula Walasawfa yu'tika Rabbuka fatarda Alam yajidka Yatiman فَآوَى وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًّا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر 
Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين ألهاكم التكاثر حتى زرتم المقابل كلا سوف تعلمون ثم كلا سوف تعلمون كلا لو تعلمون علم اليقين لترون الجحيم ثم لترونها عين اليقين ثم لتسألن يومئذ عن النعيم الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله إن 
المسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات والقانتين والقانتات والصادقين والصادقات والصابرين والصابرات والخاشعين والخاشعات والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما